Welcome back to A Justice Seeking Church, the report of the Walking with Micah project. I'm Rachel Lampard. Thank you for joining me. This is part four of eight and covers section two of the report, focusing on listening and learning. This is a substantial section of the report and it's broken down into four key subsections. First of all, our history, including our Methodist history, our hymnody and how conference in the past has engaged with justice. Secondly, our theology and the Bible. Thirdly, what matters to Methodists and the results of the justice conversations. And then fourthly, what we currently do for justice and how we can learn from those current practices. So to begin. The Walking with Micah project has been a journey of learning that has drawn on many sources. Attention to the biblical witness in its various contexts, and a variety of theological perspectives from across the world have provided key elements, and these have been set alongside contemporary writings about justice, our church's history with issues of justice, personal experience, especially attending to voices not normally heard, and examining justice-seeking practices adopted within and beyond the church. The following section includes learning from our own history and hymnody, a theology of Methodism and justice, learning from recent justice conversations in the churches and current justice work in Methodism. Learning from our history. Justice threads through British Methodist history. Learning from our past is not a straightforward business. We need to examine who is telling the story, when and in what context. History may be written by the victors in a struggle and so may carry attitudes dismissive of others and hide genuine injustices. We like to feel good about ourselves, whoever us is, and our stories are often told with our own interpretation. British Methodists have, like everyone, a mixed history of engagement and non-engagement with issues of justice. There are high points of altruism, humility and action for change. There are also low points of misjudgment, apathy, compromise, colonialism and deliberate fault. So rather than attempt a complete narrative of Methodist engagement in justice, this report draws attention to some recurring threads, patterns that help to inform, inspire and warn us. There are golden threads that run through British Methodist history. Burnished, tarnished or broken though they may be at times, which might help us to understand what is important today and help us to tell the story of God's love for all people. The following are offered as possible threads. Firstly, a commitment to the poorest. Early Methodism as a mass movement was socially diverse, but had a majority of working people. Wesley famously visited people struggling against poverty and encouraged his societies not only to give to those in need, but also to befriend those experiencing poverty, to understand their story and to challenge both attitudes and economic structures that kept people in poverty. In their best endeavours, This commitment was manifest among the primitive Methodists and in the forward movement in its work in city and town centres. 
the Wesley Deaconess Order, founded in 1890, combines social action and evangelism, particularly amongst those at the economic margins. There are accounts of deaconesses leading work in slums and prisons and opening homes for women vulnerable to exploitation. Action for Children, All We Can and Methodist Homes were all established as Methodist responses to poverty in different contexts. The Mission Alongside the Poor affirmation in 1983 stated, The Methodist Church, faithful to its missionary calling to evangelism, social caring and political justice, will strive to use its resources for all in society, recognising that this will mean especially taking sides with the poor and the disadvantaged. Secondly, relationships. Wesley's famous comment, One great reason why the rich in general have so little sympathy for the poor is because they so seldom visit them, illustrates the importance put on building relationships directly with those with lived experience of injustice as a driver for justice. For Wesley, the commitment to help those experiencing economic injustice was grounded in genuine encounter with other human beings. And it is from his own experience of being with that his exhortations to others to do likewise are based. He told rich followers that they couldn't be faithful to Christ unless they spent time with the poorest and learned from God among them. Modelling this way of being in radical relationship enabled his societies at their best to be communities committed to sharing their lives together and to supporting one another. The suggestion of a Captain Foy, an early Methodist in Bristol, that the debt of building the new room should be met by class members paying a penny a week rather than relying on donations from those who were wealthy, offered a sense of agency and collaboration. This was combined with Foy's compassionate commitment to put the penny in himself if a member had difficulty paying. More recently, the work of Sybil Phoenix, a member in the Southwark and Deptford circuit, exemplifies community-led justice work. She fostered children and set up the Moonshot Youth Club for black young people, with classes, a library, dances and a football team, as well as support for young mothers. When the club was burnt down by the National Front, she rebuilt it, and later began the first anti-racist training through the Methodist and Ecumenical Leadership Racism Awareness Workshops for Methodist church leaders. More recently, all we can have modelled partnership working through relief and development work. Thirdly, leadership from the margins. Wesley's emphasis on everyone being a child of God and loved by God gave individuals a true sense of their worth. In the words of Charles Wesley's hymn, God's ceaseless, unexhausted love, unmerited and free, is enough for all, enough for each, enough forevermore. This does not stop us recognising our failings and inherent sinfulness, but it does help us understand that we are not worthless, even if society judges us to be so. This is transformational. Intentionally and unintentionally, Methodism equipped many people to resist injustices by providing education and nurturing self-worth, strong belief and sometimes righteous anger. 19th century agricultural labourers, for example, learned to speak out and lead in church 
and were able to assert their need for a living wage, leading to the founding of the trade union movement. Tommy Hepburn, leader of the first miners' strike in Durham, and Ellen Wilkinson, one of the first Labour women members of Parliament and one of the leaders of the Jarrow March, were both nurtured as Methodists. Such leadership was often personally costly, particularly for people from working classes. Fourthly, liberation. Charles Wesley's words, My chains fell off, my heart was free, described his conversion experience in the language of liberation. For many early Methodists, this promised liberation was from the oppression of the spirit, the body and the mind, and had a collective perspective. The Reverend Hugh Price Hughes of the West London Mission in the 19th century was at the forefront of both the temperance movement, seeking to liberate people from addiction and poverty, and calls to repeal the Contagious Diseases Act, which sought the liberation of women from abuse and oppression. John Wesley recognised that injustice in 18th century Britain required both personal and collective action to liberate people. He famously condemned the horrors of slavery, but also said that if the capitalist economy relied on slavery, it was better to abolish the system and the empire's wealth than to keep slavery, saying it were more desirable that the Caribbean islands were altogether sunk into the depth of the sea than they should be cultivated at so high a price as the violation of justice, mercy and truth. In 1788, Wesley held a prayer vigil for slaves to escape and break their chains. Methodists, both ordained and lay, and of both African and European heritage, took part in resistance to slavery in the Caribbean and the Americas. This strand of liberation for our global neighbours is echoed in the solidarity which has, at times only partially, been expressed with those experiencing injustice around the world. Methodists in other countries were influential in political liberation movements, for example in South Africa and Zambia, and in the development of liberation theology, for example through José Bonino. Fifthly, prophetic witness. Methodism has nurtured prophetic groups and individuals who have sometimes challenged the church and society in highlighting injustices. It has acted in solidarity with others for justice, for example, in campaigning against the vested interests of slavery, boycotting South African goods, beginning Racial Justice Sunday after the murder of Stephen Lawrence, campaigning to make poverty history, and promoting fair trade. As a church, we have sometimes campaigned and occupied risky spaces until others could join or take things further. For example, in exposing the scandalous impact of benefit sanctions, particularly on disabled people. This tradition of prophetic witness continues through groups such as the Network of Methodist Activists and remains with us through the stories we tell ourselves, for example, of the Toll Puddle Martyrs. Treasuring stories of costly resistance can still inspire us today. And then finally, recognising and owning our church's part in injustices. In the recent years, we have begun to acknowledge our failings as a church, where looking back, we have got it very wrong. 
For example, some of our churches were unreceptive and even hostile to the Windrush generation, many of whom came to worship only to be turned away. Likewise, the Methodist Church undertook the past cases review and confessed our part in the failure of the church to keep people safe from abuse and lasting damage. Furthermore, we have not always been a prophetic countercultural voice. The ten years following the 2011 conference statement, Hope in God's Future, saw too little progress on urgent climate action in our church. The Methodist Church has been humbled by the generosity of many of those directly affected, but also needs to hear their anger and frustration when recognising and owning our church's part in injustices. Through the justice, dignity and solidarity work, our church is beginning to recognise the damage done and to create a truly inclusive culture. Steps are being taken to face the legacies of slavery in our institution and decolonise our work with global partners. For example, through the decision to reconstitute the World Mission Fund Grants Committee to enable decisions around priorities and funding to be made by global partner churches rather than British members alone. At our best, we can face the truths of failures because we believe in a God of truth and grace as well as a God of justice. There will be other threads of justice within Methodist history in Britain. And there will be many examples where our church failed to be at its best. Yet the resonance of a commitment to the poorest, the importance of relationship, nurturing leadership from the margins, a holistic understanding of liberation and the role of prophetic witness, as well as a too often belated recognition of our church's participation in injustice, help to remind us of what we bring from our heritage and will help us in discerning what is ours to do in the future. The second subsection within this segment on learning from our history looks at justice and Methodist hymns. As a people born in song, we are both formed by the hymns we sing, but also see changes in our understanding reflected in the collection of hymns we authorise for use in Methodist churches. The notion of justice in our hymnody reaches back to the seminal 1780 hymn book, Hymns for the Use of the People Called Methodist. Picking up on Micah 6.8, Charles Wesley writes, Whoe'er to thee themselves approve, must take the path thy word hath showed. Justice pursue and mercy love and humbly walk by faith with God. The first Methodists would have sung this as they sang their faith. However, the 1780 collection, the defining hymn book of the early Methodist movement, is structured around the idea of personal salvation and offers hymns for the stages of the journey of faith, what one person called the pilgrim's progress of the 18th century. Although the word justice appears in a number of hymns, it usually refers to God's divine law or final judgment. The word righteousness, a recurring theme in Charles Wesley's hymns, which incorporates the notion of justice, tends to mean God's gracious putting right of our individual wrongdoings, another term for personal salvation. Likewise, images of bondage are often metaphors for individual sin rather than systemic injustice. Social justice, though sought by the Wesleys in their ministry, is not a salient feature of these hymns. On the other hand, 
there are some long-standing hymns that, although not mentioning the word justice, nonetheless articulate the reign of God's kingdom with material and more equitable improvements to communal life. Over the 20th and especially into the 21st century, the notion of social justice has become more prominent in our hymn books, drawing on a wide range of hymns and songs from communities such as Iona, as well as from Methodist writers. Singing the Faith placed 30 hymns and songs on themes of justice and peace in a section entitled Of God's Enduring Purposes. Here, God is described as standing beside those experiencing injustice. Graham Kendrick's song, Beauty for Brokenness, portrays God alongside the poor and calls on God to give us compassion, we pray, melt our cold hearts. The justice spoken of in this hymn is linked to the fulfilment of God's salvation, but the implication is that God's kingdom stands in sharp contrast to the fragility of life for many people, experienced through unemployment, dispossession and conflict. Some hymns, however, assume the singers themselves will not have experienced injustice. For example, hymn 702 in Singing the Faith says, I will speak out for those who have no voices. This can lead to divisive us and them language and sentiments, excluding some from being able to sing particular hymns, especially about poverty, with sincerity. The addition to hymns and psalms and singing the faith of material from the global church has brought different emphases to songs of justice. O Freedom brought themes of confidence. The right hand of God brings hope. Sent by the Lord am I brings determination. And we are marching in the light of God brings joy. All these bring different emphases to hymns of justice. Overall, there is a growing theme of Christian disciples called into partnership with a God in seeking justice. This is expressed in the way of life to which we were called as individuals and together in the hymn, Show me how to stand for justice, how to work for what is right, how to challenge false assumptions, how to walk within the light. May I learn to share more freely in a world so full of greed showing your immense compassion by the life I choose to lead. The third subsection looks at how justice-seeking has happened through the Methodist Conference. The Methodist Conference, as the governing body of the Methodist Church, has adopted statements, received reports, passed resolutions and initiated action on hundreds of justice issues. This section of the report explores how conference has acted for justice and how this has changed over recent years. Sometimes the Methodist Conference has issued formal statements on specific issues of social responsibility. For example, the conference produced statements on marriage and divorce in 1946, peace and war in 1957, abortion in 1976 and political responsibility in 1995. While many of these formal statements are still a helpful resource, some of them have not stood the test of time. Many need to be read in conjunction with later pieces of work, such as subsequent conference reports on marriage and relationships, peace 
and early human life. In 1987, the conference changed the process for determining what is understood as a statement of the conference. The current Standing Order 129, which deals with this, is substantially unchanged from the one adopted in that year. The document produced is to be, quote, a considered statement of the judgment of the conference on some major issue or issues of faith and practice, and framed with a view to standing as such for some years, end quote. In order to ensure that it expresses not just the consensus of the conference, but also of the whole Methodist Church, once the conference has agreed to a draft of the statement, it is sent to the connection for study, discussion and response. If the response is positive, the statement may be presented to the conference for adoption, in its original or in some revised form that reflects the comments received. In recent years, only one formal statement has been made on social or political issues. That is Hope for God's Future Christian Discipleship in the Context of Climate Change, which was adopted in 2011. This may be because in a rapidly changing world, the necessary process of adopting such statements is too lengthy. Similarly, rapidly changing situations mean that it is hard to produce something that will stand for some years. Yet there have been reports to the conference, notably Peacemaking a Christian Vocation in 2005, Created in God's Image, an ecumenical report on contemporary challenges and principles relating to early human life in 2008, Of Equal Value, Poverty and Inequality in the UK in 2010, and Drones, Ethical Dilemmas in the Application of Military Force in 2012. All of these reports were produced ecumenically, usually with the Baptist Union of Great Britain and the United Reformed Church. Whilst not formal statements of the Methodist Church, they have enabled the conference to confer on issues of current concern, offering prophetic insight and guidance for engaging with the challenges ahead. In addition to statements and formal reports, every year the Methodist Conference receives memorials from synods and circuits. These highlight current concerns of Methodist people, and some of them raise concerns about international or domestic justice issues. The replies from the conference often affirm previous positions of the conference, detail action taken on behalf of the church, and sometimes commit officers of the conference to certain actions, for example, to write to government ministers. Notices of motion are another route for members of the conference to raise issues of concern. Notices of motion reflect a combination of the issues in the news at the time and the passions of some people elected to the conference. There is often insufficient time or resource to consider all these in depth at the conference and some are therefore referred to the Methodist Council. Often these motions are uncontroversial in that they are in harmony with previous positions taken by the conference. Occasionally further work is requested by the notices of motion or memorials. Usually, this is limited to writing letters on behalf of the conference or bringing existing work to the attention of the church. But there have occasionally been resolutions which have requested the production of resources or reviews or revisions of previous positions or fuller reports, such as those on drones or early human life or housing and homelessness. The Methodist Conference has used its voice on issues of justice to support justice activity in the wider church. Conference resolutions have required representatives of the church, for example, presidents and vice-presidents, 
to represent the views of the Church to the UK government or other bodies. They have provided the basis of other pieces of work, for example ethical investment decisions by the Central Finance Board or campaigns on welfare policy led by the Joint Public Issues Team, which are judged to be, quote, in harmony with the existing statements and resolutions of the conference, end quote. Methodists and local churches engage with the challenges in various ways. Interest groups have been set up to take forward specific issues, such as the Methodist Group on Housing and Homelessness. Individuals have been empowered to represent the position of the conference in communication with their own elected political representatives. For example, in 2016, the Notice of Motion 201P, after the referendum National Life, was sent to all MPs and many Methodists followed it up with them later on in conversation. The conference's resolutions on justice issues have been accompanied by an increasing focus on connectionally enabled campaigning activism. The conference moved from the clear statements of the decades before the 1990s to a position where principles are agreed with the recognition that changing circumstances and a deepening understanding will then shape responses. This has developed in tandem with the way in which the connectional team has been structured to support the conference in its justice work. The Methodist Church has moved from having connectional secretaries with responsibility for work within the Department of Christian Citizenship or a Division of Social Responsibility or Church and Society to being part of the Ecumenical Joint Public Issues Team or JPIT, which for Methodism sits within the mission team. JPIT carries forward the wishes of the Methodist Conference together with the governance bodies of other member denominations. As well as enabling churches to speak to national institutions, it has developed thematic popular campaigns using theological resources and previous statements or resolutions of the conference. Significant campaigns include Truth and Lies About Poverty, Benefit Sanctions, Reset the Debt, the Nuclear Weapons Ban and campaigns around the treatment of refugees and asylum seekers. Methodists have long been involved in campaigning themselves. Many remember the campaigns of MAYC, the Methodist Association of Youth Clubs, as shaping their faith and awareness of justice. Campaigns carried out in the name of the Methodist Church can be deeply formative for us as a church. Based on deeply held beliefs, they surface those beliefs in practical ways and help shape our sense of what our beliefs mean for our way of life. The Truth and Lies campaign is a good example of this. Receiving a lot of publicity, it enabled the church to challenge a vindictive narrative about people living in poverty and it also enabled Methodists to engage with people in different ways. Whilst we often seek out collaborative partners, Methodist churches' campaigns for justice can sometimes be at their best when they respond to a call to the margins, holding a risky prophetic place, occupying it until it becomes the norm, before handing it on to others. Reset the Debt kept the impact of household debt in front of decision-makers for 18 months, and others in the field have now launched their own campaigns. Yet whilst campaigning and advocacy is important, resolutions of the conference can also be acted upon through other forms of community-based activism. Recent examples of this would include engaging with Churches of Sanctuary Movement and the Homes for Ukraine programme, both of which were supported at the Methodist Conference in 2022.
There are, however, limitations connected with the ways of working described here. Firstly, the Methodist Conference only has a limited time for business. This means that the time given to consideration of justice issues, particularly when it is in the form of memorials or notice of emotion, is also limited. Significant issues can be delegated to Methodist Council or passed with very little discussion. Yet the conference can and often does engage in deep conferring, self-conscious talking and listening in the presence of the Holy Spirit, drawing on wisdom and resources from around the connection. In recent years, the use of workshops has helped to develop work on major issues. Similarly, there has been benefit in having two debates on separate days when dealing with an important issue, the first to discuss the overall content and principles and the second to deal with detailed resolutions connected to it. Given the right process and purpose, deliberate conferring enables the Church's engagement with justice issues to be deepened. Secondly, whilst the Methodist Conference speaks for the Methodist Church, it does not represent the views of all people who are part of Methodist communities on all issues. Members of the connectional team speaking on behalf of the Methodist Church are careful to refer to statements made in the name of the Presidency, resolutions passed by the Conference or the views of many Methodists. Very rarely has the Conference indicated that views are unarguable. Standing Order 336 brackets 1, which states that racism is a denial of the gospel, is one such example, and perhaps hoping God's future as assertion that it is now morally irresponsible to fail to act on our current situation, gives a clear position on an action on the climate crisis. Whilst Methodists will sometimes hold opposing positions on how issues of injustice should be understood or resolved, this does not mean that every position is acceptable or should go unchallenged, nor does complexity require us to be neutral. The principles proposed in Section 3 of this report offer a way of anchoring us all in a vision of God's justice, from which we can seek our own vocation for justice and ensure that the Methodist Church has an articulated basis for public engagement. Next we move on to a section on learning from the Bible and our theology. This begins with a subsection on theological definitions of justice. We begin this theology of justice by reflecting on the nature of God. One of the most fundamental ways in which we understand that nature is as love. Justice is the outworking of love in the public domain and as such is an expression of God's nature. Justice characterises God's interaction with God's world and God's people. Such justice may not always be comfortable or easily intelligible, and humans may not always have fully recognised, followed or understood it, but this does not negate the value of the exploration. There are many strands in the Christian tradition that can contribute to a theology of justice. These include the following approaches. Firstly, creation-based. Justice is where all is held in a godly balance, in a world that is good. This means that a creation-based vision of justice extends beyond the human, 
calling us to a responsible and caring relationship of interdependence with the whole created order. Justice is done when we love, appreciate and care for creation as God's precious gift, which we hold in trust. This understanding would take as its starting point for human relations the Imago Dei, a just society as one in which the image of God is recognised in all people and all are treated as such. Equally, it is one where all live as those proud to bear the image of God. Secondly, incarnation-based. God was fully present in the person of Jesus Christ and chooses to be present through the followers of Christ in the messiness of everyday life. Justice may be a form of kenosis or self-emptying. Too often, this is unequally expected of certain often already marginalised groups. But when we all give of ourselves freely for others, surrendering the privilege that we hold, the imbalance of power which leads to injustice gives way to a commitment to the good of others. Paradoxically, this self-emptying leads to a society in which all can be fulfilled. Irenaeus of Leon reminds us that Christ became what we are so that we may become what he is. And Mary sings that God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. Thirdly, salvation-based. Justice is shaped by the cross, showing that evil will not be victorious and offering new life for all things in Jesus. Like the Passion narrative itself, a salvation-based understanding of justice draws on the imagery and theology of the Exodus. Justice is liberation, which comes not without pain and not without risk. It seeks to overcome exploitation and inequality, but also the subtler forms of oppression that limit people's ability to shape and live their lives freely. It emerges into the light, reborn and renewed. But like the risen Christ, those who have fought for justice will bear the scars. Yet there is some moral complexity in the Exodus narrative, with the liberation of the people of Israel being accompanied by the deaths of the Egyptian army in the water. Perhaps, though, it does at least show that in various ways injustice costs the oppressors as well as the oppressed. Fourthly, kingdom-based. In the life of Israel, in the ministry of Jesus and in the life of the early church, the Bible bears witness to another way of being, where God's kingdom comes and God's will is done. It also, of course, bears witness to the damage done where this is not the case. The lived experience of God's people in both Testaments and throughout history leads to an understanding of what justice and injustice feels like. Justice is inherently relational and community-based and reflects koinonia, the deep and loving fellowship that is made possible through the Holy Spirit. In our theological reflections, we will often and rightly draw on more than one of these four approaches. 
Next in this section, we look at justice as our calling. If justice finds its source in our understanding of God, particularly as seen in the ministry of Jesus Christ, then it must surely be a part of our calling as God's people. If discipleship is about learning to be more Christ-like, we cannot avoid the task of seeking to be more just. To believe in a just God is to believe in justice as godliness, and to believe is to act. The Epistle of James declares that faith without works is dead. This is not a neat soundbite, but a summary of a much longer call to let justice and love characterise our community of faith. Justice describes the way in which God relates to us, so it must also be central to how we relate to God, through worship, and to one another, through learning and caring, to how we are Christ-like in the world, through service, and indeed to the very nature of the good news that we proclaim through evangelism. Justice is not an optional add-on or a piece of work that we can delegate to a committee, but is central to what it means to be a disciple. And finally in this subsection, a Methodist theology of justice-seeking. There is nothing in the above that is uniquely Methodist. If justice is an outworking of love and love is the nature of God, then to be Christian must be to seek justice. But perhaps there is a distinctively, although still not uniquely, Methodist theological approach to seeking justice. Methodism places considerable value on ideas of sanctification and holiness. For John Wesley, holiness is about a fullness, even perfection, of love for God and for neighbour. Living out love in the real world, however, can be messy and complicated. It can involve difficult ethical decisions and engagement with those who may not share our values. But it has the potential to transform both us and the world around us. The Bible shows us a God who is intimately connected with and concerned for God's creation. A God who takes an interest in the orphan and the widow, who is concerned for the stranger and who actually chose to live as part of creation in Jesus, who was not afraid to get his holy hands dirty before nails were driven through them. And we are called to be holy, just as God is holy, as we read in 1 Peter 1 verses 15 and 16, recalling Leviticus 11.45. For Methodists, holiness is intertwined with an understanding of justice. Methodists have historically placed a considerable emphasis on experience in theology, so it might be appropriate to draw on our understanding from our individual and community experience of justice. In practice, this may often begin with what injustice feels like. We may be more aware of our perception of when God's rule is not experienced, when situations are unfair or oppressive. This could be seen as a theology that begins with the fall, but is perhaps more concerned with redemption. We might begin with eating the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, but perhaps we need to have our eyes open to injustice, to which we might otherwise remain oblivious. Walter Brueggemann, in The Prophetic Imagination, argues that, confronted with oppressive systems, before we can seek change, 
we must first learn to lament the way things are. This means allowing ourselves to be awakened to situations of injustice until, understanding fully, we can do no other but lament. Then we will be ready to join the struggle for justice, not because we think we should or because it will count to our credit, but because we cannot bear injustice. It is easy to see why the Hebrew slaves in Egypt might lament. But we might not be those Hebrews. We might even be the ordinary Egyptians, who are not driving the slaves, but who benefit from their labour. How, then, are we to reach the point of lament and the urge for justice? The answer must involve a great deal of careful listening and empathy. The starting point for our Methodist theology of justice may not be our own experience, but that of others. This can be difficult and uncomfortable, but may drive us to repentance, to lament, and thus to action, and so our discipleship may be enriched. If our theological explorations often begin with experience, we soon find ourselves turning to scripture in order to make sense of what we have experienced, to allow scripture to read our experience and to challenge it. The scriptural potential for a reflection on justice is vast and complex and cannot be adequately dealt with here, but it is worth noting that it is not a discrete category. Firstly, it is itself in part about experience. The narratives contained within the Bible describe the experience of God's people in seeking, and often failing, to live according to God's justice. Secondly, the theological themes already outlined are themselves profoundly biblical, and the biblical witness shapes our theology and our interpretation of our experience. It is also important to note that the Bible does not present one uniform picture of justice, and that there are some very problematic examples of how justice can appear, very different from different perspectives. We tend to turn to the prophets, Micah among them, for a call to justice. But what are we to do with the cry of desperation at the end of Psalm 137, where the heartbroken, exiled Hebrews can find no other way to express their experience of injustice than by longing for the destruction of even the babies of the oppressors. In exploring our experiences and those we read about in scripture, we naturally find ourselves applying reason to determine the underlying principles of justice and how they appear or are missing in our lives and communities today. We do this as individuals and in conference with one another by reflecting on our individual and collective experience and the experiences of others. We do this in order to include the widest possible range of voices, thus ensuring that the conferring itself is done justly. We recognise that sometimes these voices will disagree. As with the biblical narrative, justice looks different from different perspectives. The act of conferring also allows us to discern together not just where injustice is to be found, but also how and where to prioritise our focus as a justice-seeking church. It allows us to respond to injustice at a very local level within each community and context, 
and to work with our partner churches around the world to challenge oppression and injustice internationally and globally. This does not, however, release us from the obligation to identify and challenge injustice as individuals, nor to examine our own lives for those attitudes and actions that deny the image of God in our neighbours. As we reflect together on our experience and interpret the Bible with each other, we build on that collective experience that we call tradition. Our traditions, which are often so central to our lives and worship that we might not even notice them, arise from our experience and our sense of self-identity. We stand in a tradition of seeking justice and equality. This is seen in our history and our dissenting tradition, our hymnody, our preaching, our Wesleyan heritage and doctrines. There is much here of which we can be rightly proud. Again, however we need to be attentive to the widest possible range of voices. We are part of a global Wesleyan family and part of the Church Catholic. We are also citizens of a world with a vast range of religious, cultural and linguistic traditions and a huge diversity of experience. The traditions and history of other parts of the global Methodist and other Christian communities, as well as non-Christian communities, have shaped our own traditions. The development of liberation theology, black theology, women's and LGBTQ theologies, urban theology and other liberationist approaches have enabled a deep understanding, bringing the perspectives of marginalised communities to theological interpretation. Attention to these perspectives helps us to recognise the less constructive aspects of the history of our church and communities and to understand where we have colluded and often may still collude, with inequality, injustice and oppression. All of this requires a collective process of listening. We need to hear those whose experiences of injustice is not ours. The reasoning of those whose understanding of justice is not ours. Interpretations of scripture that challenge our own reading, and the perspectives of those shaped by different traditions from ours. The search for justice is not tidy, and a theology of justice is therefore hard to systematise. Rather, we weave together the various theological strands in ever new ways, for new situations, as we listen to and confer with one another. Thirdly, in this section, as we listen and learn, we turn to a section on learning from conversations. A major contribution to the project has been the Justice Conversations. This was a participatory method through which people were invited to learn through dialogue with others and then share the fruits of what they had observed or discovered. These were conversations, not consultations. The feedback indicates the breadth of concern amongst Methodist groups and communities and is used alongside other sources of information indicated in this section of the report. Across the connection, people were invited to consider together three questions as part of Justice Conversations. Firstly, imagine a fair, more equal and life-bringing society and world. What does that look like? Secondly, what's the biggest obstacle to such a just world? And thirdly, what's the most important step in making this a reality? 
Groups were offered resources to look at these questions through the lens of Bible studies, worship, discussion groups, craftivism or intergenerational conversation. They fed back their responses through a web portal or on postcards. Some synods and Methodist schools also took part, as did children and young people at Three Generate and deacons at Convocation. Many of these responses came from groups who were aware of what was happening in their local communities and were committed to working for change. Groups that fed back through the web portal gave some information about themselves. For example, they said things like, We are a community hub and the only such facility in the locality. We collect a weekly delivery of vegetables from a farmer for their homeless ministry. We are a church with no building. We have a piece of land leased where we grow produce to share within the community through the town's community fridge, which is part of the Community Climate Emergency Group. We've recently started a peace and justice group called A Peace of Justice, which uses the craftivist approach to activism. Our average congregation is 15 plus. We're a registered fair trade church, a bronze eco church. We run two weekly coffee mornings, one primarily for elderly, isolated people or with people with mental health concerns, and one a free cafe with a benefit and welfare advisor and a free monthly Sunday lunch for the community. Whilst there was recognition that COVID-19 had changed or paused activities undertaken by churches, two thirds of churches that responded were involved in food banks. A third were involved in supporting refugees, fair trade or community campaigns. Groups with personal experience of injustice were also invited to hold panels or discussions and fed back their perspective, for example on poverty, youth experiences, racial injustice, disability and gender. Whilst the intent was to respond to the commitment that this project should reflect the maxim of many rights groups that nothing about us without us is for us, we recognise the inherent limitations of this process. Not all perspectives were represented. We heard that sometimes people are too tired or busy to repeatedly share their stories. Sometimes people's experience of injustice within the church meant that their lens focused on the church and the changes needed within it, which demonstrated the importance of the link between this project and the justice dignity and solidarity strategy. A workshop was held with partner churches and partnership coordinators at the pre-conference consultation and there was feedback from the global relations conversation process with partner churches facilitated by the Regional Ecumenical Advisory and Service Centre in Latin America, CREAS, as well as a conversation facilitated by All We Can. Finally, conversations were held with a range of Methodist organisations and networks about their priorities for justice – These included MHA, the Methodist City Centre Network, the Central Finance Board, or We Can, the Fund for Human Need, and the Network of Methodist Activists. Some of these organisations have clear priorities for changes to public policy. Others are responding to need or enabling engagement with justice. All of them carry some Methodist history and identity in terms of our response to injustice. These various conversations did not provide an overriding issue or single call for change. Instead, themes have emerged from groups' images of a just world and their priorities for action, together with advice from JPIT and others on issues that are below the horizon. 
These themes were tested in workshops at the conference in 2022. Responses from members of the conference were fed back into the discernment process and brought into conversation with other sources. The aim throughout has been to listen across a wide range of voices and to discern what could help us to be a better justice-seeking church. These conversations have shaped the principles and the priorities proposed in later sections and also given an insight into how our church practices justice-seeking. The report at this point contains a graphic giving an illustration of some of the lenses for justice that emerged in these conversations, and particularly the justice conversations. This is probably better seen than described and can be found around page 140 of Volume 1 of the Agenda for the Methodist Conference. Whilst presented in themes, the issues represented in this graphic are, of course, woven together in far greater complexity. Migration, for example, cannot be separated from the climate crisis and housing is embedded in poverty in the UK. Similarly, because of the ways in which the conversations were structured, this table captures a representation of people's concerns about injustices to be tackled, visions of justice and the means of achieving that justice. No waiting is attempted, rather this graphic gives a flavour of the themes that emerged from the conversations that were held. The next section is about learning from current Methodist practice. The Methodist Church in Britain currently speaks, funds, works, learns and prays on and about many justice issues via local churches and circuits, informal networks, senior leaders, grassroots activists and in partnership with others. In particular, the Methodist Church in Britain often works in partnership with other Methodist-founded organisations, including Action for Children, All We Can, the Fund for Human Need, MHA and more. There are also a large number of other organisations with which the Methodist Church and people have a long history of collaborating, including Christian Aid, Fairtrade Foundation, Arosha and others. Alongside these established groups are grassroots networks of individuals involved in justice work, including the Methodist Peace Fellowship, Methodist Women in Britain, Methodist for World Mission and the Methodist Zero Carbon Group. Many Methodists offer prayer, money and time to these organisations and groups. Methodists often seek to undertake justice holistically, praying, learning, speaking, funding and working simultaneously. So these practices overlap and support one another. However, for simplicity, our current justice work is outlined below under three broad headings, speaking, funding and working. First of all, speaking for justice is undertaken most prominently by the representatives from Methodism's large annual gathering, the Conference and Three Generate, which is the Methodist Children and Youth Assembly. Each year the Conference elects a president and a vice president who often choose a theme for the year to speak out on. Many recent themes have reflected issues of justice, including the greatest commandment, love your neighbour and a place for all, equality and inclusion. In addition to their theme, the President and the Vice President often speak on behalf of the Methodist Church and alongside others on current affairs and urgent issues of justice, often supported by the Joint Public Issues Team. 
Three Generate has regularly exercised its prophetic voice in highlighting justice issues, usually via the elected youth president or youth representatives. In recent years, this has included environmental issues, homelessness, Black Lives Matter and poverty in the UK. Social media has enabled Methodists at all levels to speak for justice on a broad and public platform. Preachers engage with justice in the Bible and in the world on a weekly basis as they prepare to lead worship. Ministerial formation at Queen's includes a centering of liberation approaches, a mandatory model on black and Asian theologies and compulsory training in community-based engagement and mission. Secondly, funding for justice happens globally, connectionally and locally. Globally, the World Mission Fund finances projects and work overseas in cooperation with Methodist Church in Britain's global partner churches and organisations. This includes projects focused on evangelism, mission work, schools, hospitals, environmental action, emergency situations, administration, training and much, much more. Recent examples of justice work include supporting the work of the Methodist Church in Tanzania in challenging attitudes towards those living with disabilities and the work of Mediterranean Hope through a mission partner working in advocacy for migrants and the creation of humanitarian corridors for those seeking refuge. In addition, the Methodist Church in Britain regularly fundraises for areas of high need in response to events around the world, such as the 2022 Sri Lanka Appeal, and the appeals for Ukraine in 2022 and Haiti in 2021, both of which were held jointly with All We Can. Connectionally, the Mission in Britain Fund finances projects and work in the UK. Every circuit and every district in the connection has been allocated Mission in Britain funds for one or more New Places for New People projects. Across the connection, at least 60% of New Places for New People funding will be used for Church at the Margins projects. The vision for Church at the Margins is to nurture new Christian communities and leadership amongst economically marginalised people in new places. Locally, a quarter of a million pounds of Methodist Action on Poverty and Justice funding, which comes from the Mission in Britain Fund, is distributed to the districts each year for use according to local priorities within the purposes defined in Standing Order 1004, focusing closely on advocating for and supporting those experiencing poverty, along with money from district advance funds. And thirdly, Working for Justice is led at a connectional level by the Joint Public Issues Team, where the Methodist Church works in close partnership with the Baptist Union and the United Reformed Church, with the Church of Scotland as an associate partner. This work has in recent years been shaped by Six Hopes for Society, which are a just economy that enables the flourishing of all life, a society where the poorest and most marginalised are at the centre, a world that actively works for peace, a planet where our environment is renewed, a society that welcomes a stranger, and a politics characterised by listening, kindness and truthfulness. The work is focused on research, engagement, advocacy and campaigning, and the creation of resources for reflection, discussion and worship around these six hopes. Within the Children, Youth and Families team, 
the Agents of Change programme, has supported and continues to encourage activism, volunteering, campaigning, peacemaking and project starting amongst children and young people. In addition to this ongoing work, short-term projects are undertaken in response to need, including recruiting the COP26 campaign workers to mobilise the Methodist Church globally in calling for action on the climate crisis during the COP's 26, and more recently launching the Warm Spaces project in response to steep increases in energy bills and the cost of living crisis, or partnering with Citizens UK to support the Communities for Ukraine programme. Justice is also woven into the work across the Methodist Church, including the Justice, Dignity and Solidarity Strategy, the God for All Strategy, Rural Mission and Ministry, the Aims and Purpose of Three Generate, the Work of Safeguarding, the Action for Hope Climate Crisis Strategy and many other ways. Working for Justice is led at a local level by churches, circuits and districts, which undertake justice work tailored to their own contexts and is funded locally. Local churches bring many gifts. Churches desire to reflect the character of God, not to develop the power of an organisation, and are sustained by prayer and spirituality. Churches are often an enduring presence within communities, with a shared memory of change and the long-term impact of injustices, as well as relationships sometimes over generations with members of communities. Churches' experience of pastoral care and listening means that they are not naive about the messiness of life and therefore know that seeking transformation and justice can be complex and requires persistence and often small steps. Collectively, if not always locally, churches are intergenerational and diverse, contextual and part of a global community. They are able to explore issues of justice and transformation across a wide range of experiences and perspectives. Churches can nurture leadership from the margins of societies. And children and young people inspire and initiate justice in their communities and the wider church. Christian discipleship includes a call to be prophetic community, a people who recognise the reality of the world as it is and yet look towards and invite others to look towards the world as it should be. Yet churches also face challenges in being justice-seeking presences in communities. Many of these challenges, a shortage of funding or volunteers, an increase in demand and lack of certainty, face other charities or other voluntary organisations. The increasingly middle-class demographic of many churches means that they are often disconnected from those with lived experience of injustice. There is a sense that there are fewer people within our churches able to engage with certain forms of justice-seeking and action. For those who are engaging, there is a risk of being overwhelmed by the breadth and depth of injustices. In the wake of the pandemic, many congregations experience a continuing sense of being in liminal or in-between times, trying to discern how to hold on to the treasures of the past, to set aside the things which no longer work, and to be open to new ways of seeking justice and peace. No large-scale surveying or research has been done into local church justice work as part of this project, and so the scale and types of work undertaken across the connection remains relatively unknown. But it is clear that the areas of work that many churches are involved in include, but are not limited to, 
hosting food banks or pantries and debt advice centres, supporting people facing homelessness, drug addiction, poverty or discrimination, becoming eco-churches or churches of sanctuary, hosting election hustings meetings or being involved in campaigning or community organising groups. In addition, some diaconal and presbyteral appointments and lay worker roles have a particular emphasis on justice issues and civic or political engagement. Finally, it is important to remember that Methodist people are often involved in justice work beyond their church community, including in paid employment or voluntary work. The role of churches in inspiring such work through preaching or upholding it in prayer is crucial. Across the Methodist engagement in justice outlined above, the themes that emerge most commonly in the current practice are poverty, equality, the environment, global issues and asylum and migration. Less common themes which are also present include peace, a just economy and political engagement. The final part of this section considers some key approaches to justice seeking. Through conversations and reflections on our theology, tradition and practice, it has become apparent that there are some ways of being that enable us to be at our best when we're seeking justice. These are being with. Justice is about being with people rather than working for people. Humility and community. Recognising when we get things wrong that we can grow and learn, that churches are not the most significant players and that we must collaborate. Power. We need to recognise where power lies and who is denied power, and how to use our own power. Transformation. Justice is not only about responding to someone's immediate needs, but also helping to transform the deep or structural injustices that cause those needs. And prayer. Activism for justice needs to be rooted in and sustained by our relationship with the God of justice. These are key assumptions about ways of being that we believe underpin a Methodist approach to justice and they are developed further in section 5. This is the end of part 4 of the podcast and section 2 of the report. In the rest of the report, we move on now to proposals for priorities, principles and practices for justice. Part five of the podcast introduces the principles for justice in greater detail.